The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Our scripture reading this morning begins in Malachi chapter 2. If you're using the Bible underneath your chair, it's on page 754. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. We'll start in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, and we'll read through chapter 3, verse 4. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning we start off uh, our four weeks in Advent this being our our first week, and this morning uh, we're going to look to the prophets, and that's where we're going to actually be looking throughout these four weeks. We're going to see this idea of how the prophets help us, assist us, really come alongside us to stir up this idea of hope, of looking forward with longing, um, because that is really where they stood in the storyline of God's redemption. Uh, story. And so today we're going to be in Malachi, next week we'll be in Micah, and then in the last two Sundays we'll be in the prophet Isaiah, looking at what these prophets had to say about the coming Messiah. Today we are starting off in Malachi, and the sermon title this morning is A Messenger is Coming. And so if you heard that language in verse 1 about God speaking through the prophet Malachi about these messengers coming, We see that this is the hope that Malachi is bringing to God's people. And the main idea really boils down to this, that a messenger is coming who is going to speak a better word. That's what God's people needed to hear at that moment in time. And it's really no different from what you and I need to hear today that we just put it maybe in the past tense that a messenger has come who does speak a better word. In the world's words, in the world's messages, there is a word, there is a message that stands above the rest and speaks a better word, amen. His name is Jesus, and we're going to see him here even in this Old Testament text. So I want to hit pause, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive right in to our text this morning. So if you would, join me in prayer. Father, we are living in just a time of the year, this month of December, really in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, where uh, words are being spoken aplenty, messages are being voiced left and right, and we are being inundated with words. We're being inundated with invitations to come and see this thing, to behold this thing, to hear this thing, to believe this thing to be true. And even within the past six days and 22 hours since we last gathered as a Jesus people, there's not a single one of us here, Father, who was not bombarded, invited to believe something that was just not of you. So now we have the opportunity to come and submit ourselves to you, to hear your word, to hear your message proclaimed, to hear your voice through your prophet, Malachi. 
And so, Jesus, I ask that you would do this by the power of the Spirit, that you would give us a Christmas gift, so to speak. And it's the Christmas gift of eyes to see Jesus, eyes to see our need for him this morning, the gift of a mind that understands these words, understand how to apply them to our life, understand how we can go and take this message to a world who desperately needs to hear the message of King Jesus, the messenger himself. Holy Spirit, assist me to proclaim the good news of Christmas this morning from Malachi 3. It is in your name, King Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So Advent season, it has started, and really, if you think about this season of Advent, it couldn't really be scripted any better for us to roll right into this season, coming right on the heels of the past three sermons that we were looking at in the Gospel of Luke. If you think about it, what we've been saying in those past three messages out of Luke 17 and that parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, we were saying things like this, that we are called to be people who come remembering. Remembering what? Remembering that sinners are saved by faith in Jesus. In Luke, we saw that we are a people who are called to keep in sight the certain return of Jesus. That's kind of Advent language, right? This idea of Jesus coming. In the parable of the persistent widow, we heard Jesus invite us, call us as his people to always pray with stout-hearted perseverance. And if you think about it, these truths that we've seen out of Luke 17 in the beginning of Luke 18, they carry the aroma of Christmas, just like this season is filled with Fraser fir candles and holiday baked goods. You go into stores, you go into homes, if you just stop and... Just breathe in and take a deep whiff. It smells like Christmas, doesn't it? If you go back into Luke 17 and 18 and you stick your nose into that text and you take a whiff of Luke 17 and 18, it smells like Christmas. Over the past three weeks, we've said that Jesus' people are expectant people. Jesus' people are an in-between people. We're in between the first arrival of Jesus. We're in between his second arrival of Jesus. And this means that Jesus' people are a waiting people. This idea of waiting carries with it sort of the aroma, the perfume, the fragrance of Christmas. We long for and can't wait for the second arrival of Jesus. This is just like born in the hearts of people who love Jesus. And it's in this particular season, in this holiday, the season of Advent, we also find ourselves unable, waiting to, to celebrate the first Advent of Jesus. Waiting for Jesus' people is the aroma of Christmas. And really this whole waiting idea, nothing latches on to this idea more clearly than if you were to open your Bible, go back into the Old Testament, and when you see God's people talking with God, worshiping God, when you see God's prophets come and minister to God's people, so often this idea of waiting with hope not false hope, but true hope that the promises of God will come true. It is just all over the Old Testament. The prophets are so helpful for us in a season like Advent, in a season like Christmas, that is designed to remind us that your hope in Christ is not a faulty hope. Amen? It's more than Santa. It's more than gifts. It's more than trees. It's more than lights. This is a season that has been gifted to us as Jesus' people, so to speak, where we can pause, slow down in the midst of the hustle and the bustle, and to realize that our hope in Christ is not a faulty hope. And the Old Testament prophets help us with this. These Old Testament prophets that we'll be looking into over these several weeks, these prophets too were a waiting people. 
And they were living among a waiting people, and they had the special task. They were called to come and proclaim hope. The message so often on the lips of the prophets was, Jesus' people, God's people, lift your eyes to the hills and see that God's help is coming. God's help is coming. From Genesis down to Malachi, the entirety of the Old Testament, God's consistent message was this, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Yes, the destroying chaos of sin has entered into the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience, but that death also brought the first promise of life when God in the garden told the ancient serpent and gave the first proto-gospel proclamation, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's Genesis 3.15. As early as Genesis 3.15, we see the hope of Christmas shining bright on the page. Ever since God proclaimed his good news in the garden, God's prophets have yet to stop, have never stopped searching. They didn't stop inquiring. They didn't stop proclaiming concerning this salvation, which is exactly where we find ourselves here in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. Malachi is the last prophet before John the Baptist shows up on the scene 400 years later. So the words that Malachi is going to give to God's people are going to be the last words lingering in the hearts and the minds of God's people for four centuries. Four centuries. Where were we at even our country 400 years ago? Early pilgrims maybe making their way across. I mean, that just seems so far, so distant, so removed from where we are today. But it would be as though God came and said something to the pilgrims and the pilgrims are like, hey, you just need to, to hold up. The Lord Jesus is going to do something, something great here among a particular people. And then century after century after century ticks by. And so Malachi stands with a pretty unique place in the storyline of God's redemptive history. Specifically, in his day, Malachi is ministering to God's people 100 years after the return of God's people from exile. If you remember, the southern kingdom of God's people disobeyed God. An invading country came in, took God's people away. God said, don't fret though because you will be brought back into the land. That event has happened and 100 years after that event, there's Malachi. He's ministering to God's people, among God's people. The once destroyed temple that was destroyed during that exile has now been rebuilt. But notice this, if you go and you read this short little book of this minor prophet, four chapters, what you see is that the tenor and the tone is that yet despite all this, yet despite God saying, you guys, if you, if, you, if you keep going the route you're going, you're going to be exiled. They were exiled. He says, don't you worry, I'm going to be bringing you back. God brought them back. God said, don't you worry, I'm going to send prophets to you who are going to encourage you to rebuild the temple. They've rebuilt the temple. A century has gone by, but yet what we find is this, is that the folks in Malachi's day are apathetic and they're extremely disappointed in God. Prophets like Haggai, prophets like Zechariah came speaking promises. God said, I want you to use these words to my people, Haggai and Zechariah. And God used these men to speak promises that upon the temple being rebuilt, God's people would experience a whole host of things. That upon the temple being rebuilt, God's people would experience God's blessing. 
that God's people would experience the nations gathering in to Jerusalem to worship the one true and living God, that God's people would experience prosperity, they would experience expansion, they would experience peace, and something that would have extremely floored them was these prophets were saying that the return of God's glorious presence to His temple would come if you rebuild the temple. It's obvious that Malachi was ministering to a people who had expectations for what these gifts from God would be, to use Christmas language. God said, if you walk in this way, here are the gifts that I'm going to shower out upon you. And it's this expectation. Man, we can't wait to open up these gifts and to receive these gifts from God. They had expectations of what all this would mean, but like the post-Christmas disillusionment that we have all felt on the day after Christmas when many, if not all, of our expectations for gifts that we've given and expectations for gifts that we've received fall flat. Amen? The day after Christmas can be one of the most bummerish days of the year. Yeah? When all the anticipation and the hope and the expectation of, man, this is, this is going to be the gift that does it. This is going to be the gift that gets it done. This is going to be the gift that wins me daddy of the year. This is going to be it. And then you find out there ain't no trophy on the day, Christmas day plus one, because the kids were overly unimpressed with the gifts. The expectations of what God's people would get was just not as great as they had hoped. If you've ever been there on Christmas Day plus one in that disillusionment and disappointment is just sort of lingering in the air like yesterday's turkey dinner, then you know exactly where the people are that Malachi is ministering to in this moment. They're disillusioned. And what Malachi is doing is helping to reveal this, that in their disillusionment, disappointment has crept in. And their disappointment has given birth to this apathetic cynicism. They had hopes that God would do a certain thing. God didn't do the thing in the way they are wanting God to do the thing. All of us have been there before. God, you're going to do a thing. And I sort of have a picture in my mind and how you're going to do this thing. But then God doesn't do the thing in the way you want him to do the thing. And then what so often happens is the disillusionment of God not doing the thing like we hoped he'd want to. What do you begin to do? You begin to feel sorry for yourself. You begin to be disappointed. And if you're not careful, our hearts can then begin to just swim in the cul-de-sac of disappointment and then apathy toward the things of God becomes normal. And then cynicism is birthed out of our apathy. God's people in Malachi's day are apathetic and they are cynical. They're apathetic in that they made compromises in their pursuit of God. They diluted their worship of God. And they're cynical in that they began to question God. Anyone ever been there before? Disillusionment has led to disappointment. Disappointment has led to apathy. Then apathy has led to, God, where are you at? God, I don't know that you're even caring. God, where are you, where are you doing here? God, are you even real? God, I don't know if I can trust you. God, I know you keep saying that your promises can be banked on, but I am 100% sure at this stage in the game that that is a bold-faced lie. And then maybe a friend comes along and says, man, is everything okay at home? <laughs> Are you all right? Is, it just seems like a cynical apathy has settled in on your heart and on your mind. And then you begin to ask them, like Malachi, is everything okay? And then what you begin to hear come out of your mouth is, well, where's the God of justice? Where is he at? Someone says you feel a little cynical and then you make an objection. I don't think I'm cynical. I think I'm just being truthful. If you've ever been here before, you know exactly where the people are that Malachi is ministering to. So in a time when God's people were experiencing spiritual decay and the promises of the coming Messiah had grown stale to the people of God, what we don't see is God say, you all need to go fix yourself. 
Go off into the corner, polish yourself up, get yourself fixed, get yourself right, bootstrap yourself, come back, and stop asking me cynical questions, and then maybe we'll have a little chat. You don't see God do that. You see God wade right into the midst of their apathetic, cynical objections, and he begins to engage with his people. And if you remember that the way Malachi is written, it's a really, really unique minor prophet book. It is written and based around six different times, six different interactions where God says, here's a truth that I want you to know and be reminded of. And the people come along and say, yeah, we wholeheartedly object to this. We don't think that's true. And then God, through the prophet Malachi, says, now let me shepherd you in the midst of your cynical question. And as God's people pepper God with questions in the prophet Malachi, what we come to discover is that one answer to their cynicism was to actually remember the promise of Christmas. Christmas shows up in Malachi 3 as an answer to the cynical objections of a people who are disillusioned, disappointed, and apathetic. What they need to see is that despite what their eyes cannot see, a messenger is coming who will speak a better word. And so this is where Malachi leaps off the page and jumps into the 21st century because so often you and I were so prone to do this, using our physical eyes. We look left, we look right, we look up, we look down, we look around and go, man, I'm having trouble seeing God in my life. I'm having trouble seeing God answer my prayers. Like, is he even answering them? Is he even hearing? I'm having trouble believing that as a follower of Jesus, the blessings of Christ are on me. On all honesty, Monday through Friday feels like I am God forsaken, not God blessed. And so now here is Malachi screaming at us from centuries in the past. A messenger has come. He has spoken a word. And his message is life-giving to you. And his message is life-giving to me. A messenger is coming who will speak a better word. Hear this, O people of God. Just as in our day, cynicism has filled up the lives of these people with untrue words and untrue messages. If you look at chapter 2, verse 17, you see the untrue words and the untrue messages that they were believing in this moment. Do you see there in your copy of Scripture? God, through the prophet, speaks to his people and says this, verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your what? With your words. You're a word people, but your words are jumbled. You're believing messages. You're speaking messages that are not true about me. Well, Jonathan, how can you say this? It's because of what the prophet goes on to say. Notice that in response to God speaking through the prophet, you people are wearying me with your untrue words and untrue messages. The immediate response of the heart is, yeah, I don't know. How have we wearied him? We're not buying the fact that just because you've said it, this is true of us. Then notice the response. Malachi, on behalf of God, says to the people, it's when you say these things, there's the word language again. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of God. That God delights in them and that he delights in evil. Or by asking where is the God of justice. These words, these messages, these untrue words, untrue messages, God doesn't delight in evil. God doesn't go around saying, I see evil in the lives of people, and I'm actually thinking that this is good. That's not true, but this is what they are believing. Have you ever been in a place where you just found yourself beginning to drift and believe untrue words and untrue messages about God? Yeah? Anybody here? Yes. You know where Malachi's at. You know where the people of God are at. Really, this verse, verse 17, Malachi chapter 2, screams Luke 18, verse 1. This is a people who have lost heart. They've lost heart. So what does God do? 
in the midst of a people who have lost heart or are believing untrue words and believing untrue messages into these wrong words, into the wrong messages they are believing, God says, I want you to be quiet and I want you to hear my word and I want you to hear my message for you right now. I have a messenger and point one, this messenger is coming. That's what you see in Malachi 3 verse 1. I have a messenger, says the living God, and this messenger is coming. Look at verse 1 in your copy of Scripture. Behold, so this is God speaking. Yes, Malachi is doing the writing and he's the mouthpiece, but this is, this is God talking to his people right now. He says, behold. In other words, pay attention, sit up, scoot to the edge of your feet. This isn't nap time. This is turn on your ears and pay attention time. Behold. I will send, notice this character. His name is my messenger. I'm sending this character. This one is going to come. I send my messenger, and here is what my messenger is going to do. He will prepare the way before me. Now he's going to shift here, and he's going to start talking about another person who's going to come. The Lord, whom you, will, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, and here he is. New person, the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Point one, God has a messenger and the messenger is coming. Friends, when you just stop and you just think about what God is saying to his people here in verse one, verse one of Malachi three is a verse that goes very far in explaining why we gather like we do on a Sunday morning and why we submit ourselves to the proclamation of the word of God like we do right now in this moment of preaching. Day in and day out, your heart and your mind, my heart and my mind are bombarded with words, bombarded with messages that are not from God. Live your best life now. God will never give you more than you can handle. Listen, if it feels good, do it. Follow your heart. Love is love. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow I die. Suffering is proof that God has abandoned me. And the list could go on and on and on and on of the words and the messages that you and I are bombarded with day in and day out. There is no shortage of anti-God words and anti-God messages in the world that you and I live in. Yes? Yes. So the question is, how do we even begin to battle the onslaught of untrue words and untrue messages that you and I have to swim through each and every day of our lives? The answer is this, by listening and submitting to God's word and God's message. You posture yourself specifically to hear from God, to hear his word, and to hear his message so that as you begin to go, okay, I'm building out these categories. Words and messages are just flooding over me day in and day out. But for the Jesus people, this particular time of God's word being proclaimed is designed to be a monologue and it's not designed to be a dialogue because for the past six days, 23 hours and 20 minutes, we have been flooded with words and messages. But this is the time for us to come and say, we're going to be quiet now and we're going to submit ourselves to the authority of God's word proclaimed over our lives. That's what we're doing right now. That's why the preaching moment is what it is. It's an opportunity for me, a fellow sheep like you, to come and say God's word is his word, God's message is his message, and we as the creatures are going to come now and be quiet and listen to what God has to say to us so that we can use that as the standard by which we go out into the world and then as words and messages and words and messages and words and messages calling us, believe this, believe that, believe this, believe that, we can begin to go, no, 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 no. We're going to walk according to the standard of God's word and God's message. You see, this is what God is saying to his people through Malachi in verse 1. He is saying to his beloved people, 
Beloved, listen, I know what you are hearing. Beloved, I know what you are tempted to believe. I know you think that I have bailed out on you. The question, where's the God of justice? What kind of hard attitude is that born out of? That's born out of a people who think, I think God is ejected on this thing. I think God has bailed out on us. I think God has left us high and dry. I think God is nowhere to be found. He says, I know that's what you think. But I want you to hear and believe this promise. Behold my word. Behold my message. I send my messenger. Promise he will prepare the way for me. Notice that if you scan your eyes over, at least in my Bible, it's literally on the next page, into chapter 4, verse 5. Do you see that in your copy of Scripture? In chapter 4, verse 5, Malachi identifies who this messenger is. When he says of my messenger in chapter 3, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, if you jump into the New Testament... And the gospel writers, what they help us to see is that they clearly identify the man, John the Baptist, as this promised Elijah-like figure here in Malachi 3 verse 1. If you remember in the gospel of Luke, I know it's been like, you know, 2,000 years ago since we were in like chapter 1, it feels like in Luke. But if you can remember way back then, an angel of the Lord showed up talking to a man named Zechariah. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. And the angel of the Lord told Zechariah that his son, quote, would go before the Lord God in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Jesus later, talking to the crowds after having an exchange with some of John the Baptist's disciples, say to the crowds concerning John, this is he, talking about John the Baptist, this is he of whom it is written. Then Jesus goes straight Old Testament, grabs Malachi 3 verse 1, pulls it forward and says of John the Baptist, Behold, this is my messenger before your face who will prepare the way for you. And if you're willing to accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah who is to come. So Jesus says, remember those promises? And all God's people said, heck yeah, we remember those promises. And he says, it is fulfilled right in front of your face right now. So in a situation drowning with words and apathetic cynicism in Malachi's day, and what you need to know is that we live in a world drowning in words and messages marked by apathy and cynicism. Just like in Jesus' day, his world was filled with people drowning in the words of apathy and cynicism. God speaks. Jesus speaks. He says, listen, when I connect to before you that John the Baptist is this Malachi 3 Elijah, what you need to know is this. This is manifest proof that God keeps his promises, y'all. That's what's going on right now. God has kept his word, and the proof is that you can go and touch this man in the flesh named John the Baptist. He is the living fulfillment of what the prophet said back in Malachi 3. God's messenger has arrived just as he said. God's messenger prepared the way just as it was foretold. And when Jesus says what he says in the New Testament concerning John the Baptist as the fulfillment of Malachi 3, what Jesus is saying to you, to me, in a world drowning in the words of apathy and cynicism is this. It is worth living like God's promises are true, even if you don't see them fulfilled in your lifetime. It is worth you getting up tomorrow morning and saying, the way I'm going to go out the door today, the way I'm going to work today, the way I'm going to parent today, the way I'm going to pursue Jesus today, the way I'm going to pray today, the way I'm going to minister at Washington Street Mission today, the way I'm going to speak the gospel today is in line with this idea that today is a day worth living like God's promises are true even if I don't see these promises fulfilled in my lifetime. 
Because we don't bank our hope of promises fulfilled on whether or not we see it. We bank our hope on the God who speaks promises and cannot break his promises solely upon the fact that God is God. He is not a liar. And when he says, I'm going to do it, he's going to do it. And that right there is the standard of my living for today. Are you tracking? That's what Jesus is saying to us. John the Baptist was a messenger with a message. And what was his message? His message to God's people then and his message really to God's people today is this. God is here. Are you ready? If he is the my messenger who's going to prepare the way and the my messenger has come, that means the way has been made straight. The way has been made smooth. And we get the benefit in the point of redemption history we find ourselves in to look back and go, that promise was fulfilled some 2,000 years ago. It's not so much God is coming, are you ready? But we can get to say that in a very real sense, God is here. He has showed up, Emmanuel, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. God has shown up, God is coming back, we're the in-between expectant waiting people. Are you all ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus when he comes back? Are you listening to this word? Are you listening to this message in the midst of all the messages that want to try to numb your readiness. To get you to believe, ah, I can punt the ready can later down the line. Are you listening to God's message? But now notice, back half of verse 1. Notice that as God continues to speak, another character shows up. There's two messengers that are going to come in Malachi 3 verse 1. One is called my messenger, and the other messenger is called the messenger of the covenant. These are two different people that the prophet is talking about. Do you see that there, back half of verse 1? And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This second messenger, notice, he is both the Lord and he's the messenger. So it's not my messenger, someone named Lord, and someone named messenger of the covenant, what Malachi is saying, this one who's the messenger of the covenant, he is fully Lord. He's fully God. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our adoration. And notice that he will suddenly come to his temple, and this messenger of the covenant, says Malachi to the people of his day, in whom you delight, this Lord and this messenger are the same person. And just like John the Baptist was sent with a messenger, was a messenger sent with a message, so this messenger of the covenant character is a messenger who's also come with a message. The New Testament makes abundantly clear that this messenger of the covenant is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, who the author of Hebrews says was the mediator of a new covenant. He's the messenger of the covenant. And his message was also a message of words. And Jesus' message was meant to be given, was meant to be heard, and was designed with scalpel-like precision to come into a world full of untrue words and untrue messages and to be a word from the word himself, a message that was designed to pierce through all the messages of the world. You go into Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, and what we read is that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Here's the message of the good news of God. Jesus, please explain to us what is the message, the good news of God. And Jesus says, here's the message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand right now. Well, why can you say this, Jesus? Because I'm the king. And if the king is here, that means the kingdom of God has arrived. It is at hand. And your right response to this message is to repent from sin and turn and believe in the good news of God. That's the message. His message is, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. His message is, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. His message is you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His message to us is I am the bread of life. 
Therefore, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. His message is that whoever believes in me shall never thirst. His message is that whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Praise God. His message is, I give my sheep eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will be able to ever snatch them from my hand. This is the word from the word and his good news message to you and me today. It's the message designed to punch in the face every single paltry message the world could ever come and tempt us with to believe. Yes? Beloved, listen. The month of December... If there was ever a month in a 12-month calendar, the month of December is one big, unending advertisement filled with all types of words and messages, yes? I mean, does your news feed and your social media look like, and your your streaming services, do they look like mine? It's like five minutes of show and like 2,000 hours worth of advertisements? Yeah? What is that? That's the world bombarding you Words and messages saying, come, believe, come, hope, come, trust, come, rest. Social media, television, streaming services, more. They're filled with voices designed to deliver the message that the cure for your loneliness, that the cure for your anxiety, that the cure for your shame the cure for your guilt, the cure for your brokenness, the cure for that low-grade nagging restlessness that eats at your heart and mind when you lay your head on your pillow at night, this low-grade nagging restlessness that you've tried to numb in all sorts of ways, all of these things and more, the world with its words and its messages says all of these will find their cure by you trying harder to fix and cleanse yourself with more broken stuff. But like putting a Band-Aid on a cannonball wound, it ain't going to fix the problem. You see this, the world knows the world is broken. That's why the world is presenting you and me a consistent, never-ending stream of, here's a fix for you, well, that didn't work, well, here's a fix for you, well, that didn't work, here's a fix for you. The world knows that the world is broken. That's why the world is never ending in its proposed solutions for your problems. The world is smart enough to see that the world is broken. That's why the world says you need something to cure what fixes you or what ails you. Here's the fix. Go buy more stuff. Here's the fix. Get in a different relationship. Here's the fix. Have more sex. Here's the relation. Here's the fix. Go get a better job. Go get more money. Stock the 401k. Find a new partner. Get a new job. Get a new home. Go get more religious. Go get a little bit more spiritual. Educate yourself a little bit more. Fix. Proposed fix. Proposed fix. Proposed fix. The world is unending in these things because the world knows the world is broken. But the best thing the world can do in its words and in its messages is attempt to offer you broken fixes for brokenness. It's blind to the fact that brokenness cannot and will not fix the brokenness of sin. It can't happen. But praise God for the good news of Christmas. And what's the good news of Christmas? The gospel of Christmas is that Jesus, the messenger of the covenant, and his message have come. And the invitation for a broken world, broken by sin, isn't go out and try to fix your brokenness with more brokenness. The invitation from the scriptures is for you and me to come and collapse into the good news that this messenger will cleanse. What is the world, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, maybe even you here this morning, what are you trying to do when you go and buy into the words and the messages of the world that says, hey, is this thing broken? And you go, yeah, this thing's broken in my life. 
and the world says, here's a broken thing to try to fix the brokenness of sin, and you buy into it, what is going on in that moment? What's going on in that moment is this. You're trying to fix yourself. You're feeling a little dirty, guilty, shame-ridden. You want to be cleansed. You want to be washed of that brokenness. You want to be made pure. You've made decisions. The lingering effects of those decisions are haunting you to this day. The stain of sin and guilt, it's like a, it's a stain. You're like, out, out, damn spot, Macbeth, right? You're like, ah, I'm just trying to get this thing off of me. And the world says, do this, do this, do this. Here's the cure, here's the cure, here's the fix, here's the fix. And all it is is broken fixes for, for brokenness. And then the prophet speaks up in Malachi 3 and says, but there is one with a word and a message who can come and cleanse your soul, the soul-cleansing power that you long for and that you need, and his name is Jesus. He's the cleanser. The cleansing power of Jesus, notice it's all over these three verses in the imagery of a refiner and a launderer. Someone who melts down metal and someone who washes clothes. Look at verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he, the messenger of the covenant, the one that we know to be Jesus Christ, he is like a refiner's fire. Notice the language. He's like a launderer's soap. Some of your translations might say launderer's bleach. He will sit as a refiner. He will sit as a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi. He will refine them like gold and silver. And notice that the backside of the refining, purifying, cleansing power of the messenger of the covenant is that the sons of Levi, they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. And the overflow effect of the cleansing of the sons of Levi is that the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem, the people of God, will be pleasing to the Lord. When one person is cleansed, the overflow power of the gospel power to cleanse is this it begins to ripple outwards and it begins to change people the message of verses 2, 3, and 4 is this genuine deep cleansing is on the way a refiner uses a smelting pot to heat down metal and expose the impurities so that the dross the impurities, the uncleanliness of the metal can be removed and what you have is pure silver afterwards A launderer has the exact same goal in mind when you come and you dump a whole bunch of dirty clothes in front of the launderer. They are going to use some kind of high strength. In Malachi's day, it would have been like this very alkaline kind of lye soap. And they would have rubbed that on there and that high strength soap would have washed and purified the stains out of those dirty clothes. And Malachi says, if you've ever seen somebody melt down metal, scoop away dross, and have pure silver on the back end, if you've ever seen your mama wash your dirty clothes with some live soap, knocking the impurities out, then you understand Jesus right now. On the first Christmas night, what you need to know is that the messenger of the covenant showed up. And that baby in the manger did not arrive so that he could put lipstick on a pig. You ever heard that phrase before? What is, what is being said there? You can't unpig a pig with lipstick. Lipstick on, lipstick off. That pig is a pig, and that pig is going to remain a pig, and that pig is going to wallow in its filth, and it's going to wallow in the muck, and it's going to wallow in the mire. Jesus didn't come to just slap a little lipstick on you and me so that we could just look a little bit prettier in our dirtiness and our uncleanness. That baby in the manger didn't show up so we could put lipstick on a pig. No, the baby in the manger, the messenger of the covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ came to perform heart-refining, soul-washing, sin-purifying from the inside out, complete and total transformation. If you are in Christ here this morning, saints, believe this truth. You are not who you once were. You are a new creation, says the Apostle Peter in 2 Corinthians 5. You have been transformed. Jesus didn't slap a little lipstick on the pigsty of your life. He pulled you out of the pigsty, completely transformed you, redeemed you, made you into something new, and now with the authority of heaven... Behind your words, you can say, I am not who I used to be. 
My soul has been purified. My sins have been washed clean. I am now white as snow. And this cleansing we need, we know we can receive because the scriptures tell us that the messenger of the covenant stood in our place at the cross. That little baby in the manger grew up and then ministered and called people to himself and then went to the cross so that through his death, you and I might have life. The refiner's fire can purify you and me because the refiner's fire first burned Jesus. The launderer's soap can wash you and me clean because the launderer's soap first put its painful sting and it was fully drawn in its 100% nature in the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. Friends, you and I can stand before a holy God clothed in his righteousness because for our sake God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you're in Christ this morning, you can put on the righteousness of Christ clothed in his righteousness. Why? Because for our sake... God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that our impurities and our filth and the dross of our life would be credited to his account and so that the purity and the righteousness and the cleanliness of Christ could be credited to our account and so that we could go out into the world and say, if you want to see someone transformed from the inside out, you can take a look at me. And I'm not saying that to boast. What I'm saying that is this. Jesus is in the business of transforming and cleansing sinners of me being the chief. You understand what Jesus is saying here? Friends, only when we come to see this truth that because of the cross, that because of the cross, the messenger of the covenant can cleanse a sinner like me. When we come to see that truth in its fullness, only then will we be able to sing during the time of Christmas, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. That's not just something you're supposed to just rip into because high V has it pumping over the speakers too many decimals too loud. That's something that we can go, man, I, there is joy to the world. The messenger of the covenant, he has come. And he has brought a message to you and he's brought a message to me. That truly, the Christmas story speaks a better word, yes? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done at the cross. Jesus, thank you for all that you do to save us, dying in our place, bearing the wrath of God. All of these and more are just the many good news pieces of Christmas. And I pray that you would wow our hearts right now with this good news. Jesus, you are the messenger. And your message has come. And I ask that you would help us to believe. And then that you would help us where we are struggling to believe. Jesus, it's in your name that I pray these things. Amen.